Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. Hi there, welcome to Ida, where we address how you can ideate, decide, and act on the business topics we talk about in each episode and apply them to your own startup. My name is Brika Pinnam. And I'm Ganika Pinnam. Thank you for joining us today, Afifa. And why don't you start us off with your intro? Because like you mentioned, you've been in this you know, business for 20 years, which is impressive, and started three companies. So I'd love to get to know more about your journey and how you ended up doing that. Yeah, sure. I uh, actually consider myself an, a, a native as well as a developed entrepreneur. I've uh, always had a bit of a um, you know side gig going on, like a side hustle. Before that was actually a word, before it was a thing. Um, so I mean, my journey. Uh, I am an electrical engineer. That's what I studied in school. And so you know, the first sort of uh, eight, ten to ten years, I actually worked uh, as an engineer in the field, uh, power engineering to be more specific. So I used to work in the in the power sector, uh, transmission and distribution. And so I, I learned a lot uh, working with people. Um, but again, I've always uh, wanted to have and do something that was my own. So. Um, my first real business that, that I, I say real, what I mean is successful, where I actually sustained myself was my recruiting companies. And, and that company is called Kronos Consulting Group. It's a, a niche engineering and science recruitment company. So basically that uh, uh, and everything that, that I've done uh, comes out of problems that I was trying to solve. At the time, I was actually looking for a job for myself. So, you know, my, my journey stems from trying to solve my own problem of being employed. Uh, and actually, all of the businesses that I ended up founding came out of, you know, some uh, uh, aspects of failure, which, you know, I have a life belief that I apply to my myself, my, my uh, way of being, and also to my businesses. So, you know, when something doesn't go right, I ask the question, well, how can I turn this around? And where's the opportunity here? What's the silver lining? So Kronos was launched 20 years ago because I was, uh, my entire industry that I was working in at the time got outsourced to India and China, and I was looking for work. And I would actually go into interviews uh and literally, I had five interviews I did within 10 minutes of each of those. I knew that, hey, I'm not the right person 
but I do know who is the right person. And I would introduce people. And then after the fifth time, I'm like, wait a second, this is a job. I should be paid for this. So that was uh, the start of, of, hey, I'm going to uh, start a recruiting company, but my differentiator is going to be, I want to have and provide a good candidate experience. I want someone to, to headhunt. I, I would like to headhunt the way, the way I'd like to, to have the experience. So that was sort of the genesis of Kronos. And uh, uh, we built and grew that, that company, um, you know, to uh, 10 recruiters at our, at our high point and very specialized in uh, engineering and science. So, you know, mining, oil and gas, infrastructure, big engineering projects, because at that time I had experience in networks in that, in that space. So that's sort of the start. And, uh, um, you know, right now uh, my big focus is Canadian payroll services. And this came about because I wanted to, uh, uh, I wanted to have a hedge to the recruiting business because it's, it's, it's a very up and down industry recruiting. Mm -hmm. The, the payroll service company is literally in the, in the last, um, in the last six years, we have grown this, our, and our team is very lean still. And we, uh, we service, uh, like we have hundreds of clients uh, and hundreds of workers across Canada. So it came out of a need to differentiate uh, the recruiting service. Uh, and that's where Canadian Payroll Services came out of. And CareerLeaf uh, is in between these two. It's actually a software company. It's a SaaS software company. It was another experiment that I did because, again, I wanted to find different uh, ways of generating revenue as hedges to the recruiting business. So CareerLeaf right now is a white-labeled job board software. So, so job boards like uh, you're familiar probably with Monster or Indeed, we, we've built um, – white label job boards and we sell them uh, right now on six continents and you know our it's not our brand curly brand it's it's our client's brand that that is up front and center so that's sort of a like a little summary of of you know my various entrepreneurial ventures at least the successful ones that are currently in operation <laughs> so there's more behind the scenes huh well, as any entrepreneur will tell you there's the failures yeah. that actually yeah. make you so there are those yeah, absolutely. And I actually wanted to ask really quick, Kronos Consulting. So that was interesting to me. Is the name coming from the Greek god Kronos or like how did you come up with that? Yeah, it is uh, it is the Greek god of time. I, and I was at the time playing with that, you know, the, the ideas around time, but also, you know, headhunting. So, you know, uh, Kronos had ate his children it's, it's, it's a crazy silly metaphor but yes. being an engineer you know I also have a very weird wacky sense of humor engineers can relate no that's funny though that that's why you named it that but uh, yeah. I had to say though the reason behind you know your perspective of it, it has to be like a holistic experience and from the employee's perspective that's really great to hear because you mean today you see a lot of recruitings where it doesn't go that well it's not um, you know the best experience for the employee so that's really great so the reason that you started it is to have a better experience well, well, you know, in uh, um, something I was interested in is so most of my businesses are our professional services, uh, but each of them has a technology component. Now, you know, uh, about 
when, when LinkedIn started getting very active, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like when, when we started our recruiting business, technology wasn't like, I couldn't buy software. I actually built our own uh, software because my, my various workflows, I couldn't find something off the shelf. So, you know, building software uh, is what I was playing with. The, the whole tech space that, that's been exploding is, you know, the SaaS space, SaaS software as a service. And that's where Curly fits. And experimenting with software as a service, but tying it to the first iteration was trying to get the focus on the candidate experience. So how do, for example, young job seekers, uh, you know, specific niche of, of job seekers, how do they get a better experience while searching for jobs? And it's still not uh, where it should be, right? I think it's gotten better and better. And mm -hmm. everybody used to think that technology is going to change, uh, you know, this, this play. It, and that's just not what's happened. I think people get uh, um, hooked on, on technology. It's always still the experience you have talking to people. And, you know, as much as, as technology is there to assist us, the connection still has to be uh, person to person. If you're going to have, uh, um, you know, people end up in, in good roles that are suitable for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that you had like this central theme too between all of your companies and you're staying in your niche because one question that we see a lot especially is like when you have a lot of ideas what do you pursue or how do you find you know what you need to do and even though you're an engineer you like successfully pivoted into this HR industry and created like three amazing companies right in this specific niche so how did you build your skills I'm just curious about that as an engineer how did you position yourself as an expert in HR? Right. That's a really good question. I'm not and, and never have been an expert in HR. <laughs> I, I still, I still, I, I, I try to be a, an expert in, on breathing, actually, <laughs> because I say anytime I wake up, breathing is going to be a good day. Um, you know, I have interests. So, you know, first of all, I, I have a love-hate relationship with this one saying that, you know, do what, you're, what you love and, you know, the money will follow. I'm not sure th that I, I believe that. And I think it might be bad advice. I think I enjoy uh, what I do and I have an interest in it. Um, it was not my passion, but one thing I do believe as an entrepreneur or any idea, if someone is going to pay you to solve a problem, then you know you have a solid idea. So you know, this is where and how I, I stumbled into recruiting the Kronos Consulting Group business um, because it's how I operated and, and how I went about recruiting people and then, you know, servicing my clients, which is a, a more of a personal, um, you know, process. That's how I got started in that business. I was solving their problem because, you know, even now... It's, it's not necessarily hard to find people. It's hard to find the right people because it's not just about skills. It's also about how they fit in your culture. And that's not something that, that you can kind of necessarily do without speaking to each other, right? So that's what I'm really good at. I'm, I'm good at in, engaging. I'm good at reading between the lines. And that skill set is what I actually rely on when, when I, you know, start and pitch and, and build a, a business or an idea. I'm not 
Yeah, I, I, and I'm pretty sure a lot of entrepreneurs will say this, right? They're they're solving problems, and that's another viewpoint that that I have. I, I often think that that entrepreneurs are actually, you know, the the um, first responders of the business world. We we see problems and we rush in. How can I solve this? Where's the value? What what can we do to make this better? That's actually a great way to look at it. And this question might be super meta that I just thought of, but like, as you're growing these companies, right, you're helping other people recruit, but then you also have to recruit for your own companies because, you know, you're running three companies and obviously you need to build a team. So how did you go about doing that and like finding the right people, right? You just said it's not just about skills, but the culture, right? Because you want people on your team who are having this mindset that you have of helping and solving problems. Yeah. Well, so in general, people, the A to B to C process usually is you, you decide, okay, here's, here's uh, my business. Here are the roles that I, I need. Then you go about, you, you create a job posting and you put it out there. When, so yes, all of those are, are technically how, you know, recruiting is done. But one thing that I do for, for my own businesses is I'm always uh, meeting people and, you know, whether I'm looking for to fill a role or not, I'm, I'm literally always interviewing people and being interviewed because you never know when an opportunity comes up. And sometimes, for example, I'll recruit to, or someone or I'll, I'll speak to someone for one of my businesses, but I'll know that uh, uh, this person is actually more suitable for, you know, for my other business or for this other role. Now, like, for example, technical skills are, are pretty you know, cut and dry. Uh, When I'm hiring for my payroll back office, you know, I know they have to have payroll designations, they have to have experience running payroll, they have to have, you know, specific knowledge sets. And, you know, same goes for any industry. But, you know, there's the differentiators, here's a a person who knows payroll, but they also have great, uh, um, you know, front end skills. They're, they have great rapport building skills. So maybe they'd be better doing the sales side of our business as opposed to, you know, the pure cut and dry, never talk to anybody back office. <laughs> so when I'm recruiting for my, my own companies, I, I keep myself wide open. And uh, I mean, my team will actually tell you that there's a few people, I actually stalk them for a few years online <laughs> before <laughs> I actually found that this is the role for, for this person. Like I stalk my marketing manager <laughs> who's, who's currently with us. I stalked her and watched what she did for two years before approaching her. Wow, that's actually a really good tip. <laughs> Anybody listening out there, if you want to hire your next big employee, stalk them for a while, watch what they're doing, and then hire them. No, that's actually good, though, because you're watching them progress. You're watching the way they're thinking. They're interacting with people. So mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent way. Yeah. You, you, like, did it for three companies, right? Your own three companies, and, like, you're managing them. Like, can you tell me a little bit about, like, how you do that? Like, hiring and, like, building them and growing them. Three yeah. companies isn't easy. So right now, uh, it's not easy. It's, it's a lot of time, but it's how I structure my time that's different. And in, you know, in some ways, I am one of the the blessed people on on the planet that uh, COVID in this pandemic has actually helped me uh, get a lot more structured. Now, I'll speak a little bit about the, the Canadian payroll services business. I'll, I'll just call it CPS. To, so it rolls a little better. So CPS, it, we've been uh, running a, a remote business for, for six years. 
100% of the workers are, are workers are, are remote and they work for clients that are not in Canada. So we were already positioned to, to transition to remote. And what's different is our, our internal team uh, of people. Before, we were quite tied to the office because we hadn't fully automated everything. So this is actually, I think, the, the key not just to operate uh, remote businesses, but you know, how do entrepreneurs uh, structure themselves uh, to be able to manage you know, a variety of either projects or companies? And so what, what I do is I have my teams and I meet with everyone regularly. They ha- we have a schedule and we have, here's what we're going to go over. So it's really about managing the tasks and the work. And this is a great way to also keep people accountable. And it's not about the hours anymore that they put in. They're not tied to a desk. Yes, there's certain functions that are, like, for example, payroll needs to be done in certain hours on certain days. But outside of that, you know, people actually now have a lot more freedom. And this is how I actually do it. I, uh, I, I structure my own days. I have set work hours where people know when and how to get a hold of me. And we know that, that on these calls, here's what's going to be discussed. And then again, it's an uh, open uh, door policy because, you know, we've now gone fully to, to uh, teams or, you know, these automated uh, systems um, that now are, are allowing all the remote work. Cause, and I also have two teams that I run in India, you know, that, that uh, do some of the software development. For us. So it's a, a, a really, I believe it's about being structured and being disciplined with, with time. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with you about setting good boundaries like that. That's something I'm personally trying to work on as well. And one thing that has really helped is I used to check my email constantly and like reply the instance that something would come in. But now, like you said, kind of setting aside times when people can reach me and like I'll get back to it at the end or the beginning of the next day and kind of block processing has been really helpful yeah with managing yeah. time yeah and and how to organize teams like so for example uh, uh I, I don't know if you're familiar with teams but we set up channels so it, basically you post messages on certain channels and we have one called emergency so everybody makes sure that that when we onboard someone they pay attention to certain specific channels and then everything else is information. And if you really want uh, something urgently or something has happened, you know, here's here's uh, the, the structure for, for our business. Now, each of these companies, I take the successful uh, strategies and basically deploy them across all the businesses. Um, now, Curleaf, I, I'm also very fortunate that, that I have, uh, um, it's got to a point where I've hired uh, uh, somebody else to manage that company. He's the president, and eventually uh, I, I probably will step out of the CEO role, because right now uh, he and I meet a few times a week, and uh, pretty soon, you know, he'll just be um, running it fully. So, you know, I have a fantastic team, but a lot of it is because I think I, I can now just provide mentorship and, and coaching. And uh, when big deals come in, for example, that's when uh, we make sure that we're totally on how do we structure these new deals or these new, new business models. Mm. So I, I say I get to do all the fun things now. I, I don't always have to do all the the bottle washing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a good way to put it. And I'm really glad you're in a great place with your businesses now. And that's always nice to hear from another entrepreneur, like seeing someone kind of make it because, you know, people only see like that end result. But you actually alluded to this a little bit earlier, like on the journey to where you are now, where everything's in a good place, there have been ups and downs and failures, right? So can oh, you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so when I first, the first year that I started Kronos, so first of all, I, I was actually looking for a job and couldn't really find something. It was also uh, a depression uh, time. Um, it was early to, um, 2000 and early 2000. And literally uh, after 9-11, that entire year, nothing. Like we made zero revenue. It, and it was, you know, I had a choice. I either, you know, try to run this business and get an office and, and try to keep going or I, I have a house. I gave up my house in order to, to fund my business because, again, at the time, being a new, fresh, you know, startup founder I, uh, and being a young brown woman, I couldn't get a loan from a bank. I had to self-fund. So that first year was one of the hardest because there was zero revenue and there was like literally all the expenses. And then I did have two people that I had to, to pay. So, I mean, every entrepreneur will go through these ups and downs. You make tough choices. And yeah, I did choose. Okay, I'm going to live in my brother's basement <laughs> and rack up a bill to him, <laughs> which, you know, then I will, I ended up, you know, paying back nicely, which uh, also is helpful to him. But, you know, it gave me the time to, to be able to grow that business and start, you know, start my entrepreneur's journey. No, that, that's actually so true. And, and you asked about failures. You know, they'll tell you there was another business I started uh, at around the same time. Because one thing I do is I do uh, hedging experiments. I, I have similar ideas. I started a business development uh, uh, company called Wasabi. And, you know, I really just was attached to the name and the brand. But it, it really did not take off. And, you know, it's, it's one of, um, you know, it's, it's a regret that I have that, you know, I didn't put the proper time, but uh, it, I learned a lot from it. I learned things that I couldn't do and shouldn't be doing. So there, there's a lot of learnings that come out of the failures. It's like that I was saying that, you know, I asked the, the question, what can I get out of this experience? Where's the opportunity? So that, you know, it, it influences, uh, it, it, it informs what my next step is. Most definitely. And I think a lot of times, too, people just talk about, you know, how they did something, all the upsides and stuff. But actually, where you learn things like you're saying is during the failures, during the hardships, the decisions that you have to make is where you get the most out of it. And like you're saying with Wasabi, you know, even though it didn't become a huge success like you wanted it, you took a lot out from that. Right. And that's that's actually really important. And, you know, one of the other things that really struck me was, as you're saying, you're you're attached to the brand, you're attached to the name. And, you know, that happens to a lot of us sometimes because yeah. it's, it's like, you know, it's so creative and if you fall in love with the idea. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> so how did you like, like at one point say, okay, I have to step back from it and I have to let it go because letting go of something like that is really, really hard. It, it really is, especially if you put your heart and soul into something. So this goes to, you know, I... I when I do speak to young entrepreneurs, uh, I, I actually, some, once in a while, I'll teach a, a class at a college. And uh, I, I was teaching at a, a local college one uh, 
term. And it was about job search and entrepreneurship and in, in these topics. And the, the key message I wanted to give people is if you have an idea, I, I personally don't recommend building something. The, the, the method I don't recommend is build it and they will come. Get your, get your MVP, like get your, you start it, make sure that there is a, a client base, right? And this is the part where I've always struggled that, you know, uh, young entrepreneurs are taught that, you know, you go get funding and, and you know, you, you can start, uh, get, build your tech product and et cetera. No, I think go get a customer. If someone is willing to pay you to solve their problem, then you're onto something. Whatever that problem is, I mean, it could be in, in my case, uh, someone was willing to, to pay me to use my methodology to go recruit for them, really difficult to find people for roles that were very specialized. And, you know, that's the, the problem I solved for my early clients. And I would build entire teams for them because that's very difficult in some, in some industries. So, and now in, in the payroll business, you know, the problem we're solving is there's a number of like, like, uh, you know, you guys are in the US, there's, there's a lot of businesses that hire and have to hire talent right now, because entire um, knowledge sets are being lost because you're not renewing uh, work permits, you know, you have knowledge workers right now that are being kicked out of the country. So this is a bit of an opportunity for where these workers land, because the companies can't afford to lose them. What they end up having to do is, you know, hire uh, um, contractors and, you know, it becomes a global workforce. And this global workforce, the remote working, it, it didn't just start now. It's been around for, for a decade or more. People have been uh, employed, you know, cross borders for, for many years. But now it's becoming, this is, this is what I work on in, in CPS. You know, I provide a Canadian workforce to a non-Canadian clientele. That's the niche. And it's solving a problem. So this is what I, what I say. This is how, you, how entrepreneurs can actually find, you know, a, a solid business to work in. Where is there a problem that you can, you know, uh, put your, your passion and attention to and provide someone value and be paid for it? Because that's actually very crucial. You can, you can do a lot of things, but if someone's not paying you for it, then don't do it. <laughs> I love that and I think that's such a great way to think about entrepreneurship like solving a problem that someone's willing to pay you for um, just really simplifying it down and getting that first customer is so important and you know yeah how you said like if you're not getting paid for it don't do it because a lot of times especially this is something that I've been learning a lot about recently you know is we like to stay busy with like menial activities because then we feel like we're making progress but if it's not like the thing that's driving your primary kpi which is like usually revenue or customers then don't yeah. do it yeah yeah so i mean again basic business 101 what are there are three things right three things every com every profitable company wants revenue how do you make more money how do you stay in business because without that i can't pay my people and, and it's not just about paying them. It's about paying them well, giving them a, a, a very well-balanced lifestyle. So, you know, then they can enjoy their work and life. Number two, how do I save money? I know a lot of this is about money, but 
you know, how do I make myself efficient? How do I automate so that, you know, um, as a professional service, it's not been easy scaling, but I've tackled that by automating a lot and building efficiencies. And it's not just by technology, it's people efficiencies, the methods we use. So that's a second piece. And then, you know, um, third, again, that's the efficiencies part. So cost savings, revenue, and efficiencies. If, if I just focus on the basics, uh, it kind of is, is um, you know, it, it's very relevant to how you can grow and scale anything. Like even that me- mentality, having that and grooming that across the team is important. So, for example, marketing, whatever project you decide to do, uh, whatever campaign, you have to have clear metrics and, and KPIs so that you know how to measure what's successful. You know, in, in marketing now, everyone talks about how conversions and, and clicks. I'm not a fan of clicks. I'm not a fan of, you know, click-throughs or anything like that. I, I really want to be able to measure how does a lead come in and how do I turn it into a paying client. That, to me, is measurable or, or that's what I want to know more about as a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's like a vanity metric or like how many people will, will clicks because then clicks will turn into conversions. But then if you're thinking about things like, oh, well, this many followers or this many views, yeah. you know, if those yeah. people are not your audience, if it's just like, random people that are coming across it, it doesn't matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think understanding those things as, as a, a young entrepreneur, like how are you going to measure yourself, your business, your team and, you know, vanity mm-hmm. metrics, just like, you know, time sinks, keeping ourselves busy. Those are, are the things, the traps to avoid. So, you know, as a business uh, uh, owner, a business leader, I also want to, uh, you know, mentor and coach my own managers to, to sort of look mm-hmm. for these, these traps themselves. I call them traps, but, you know, they're also learning opportunities because we all fall into them. And I'm not speaking from, as someone who's never done that myself, I have. <laughs> I have many times, you know, fallen into my own traps, but that's part and parcel of being a human, right? Absolutely. And you mentioned a really great point, like scaling a service business is so hard. And I was really impressed by the fact that you scaled, you know, your, their latest company to $25 million in three years, which is just so impressive, right? And how did you do that? Like, even scaling a service company to a normal range is so difficult, but to eight figure revenue, how were you able to do that, you know, beyond like the automation and things that you mentioned? So it also is a function of the market I'm in and what exactly my, my uh, figures represent. So, you know, I, I deal in a market that, uh, first of all, we, we don't deal with minimum wage or low wage uh, sector because that's not what uh, where the niche is that, that we fill. So, you know, we keep um, ourselves in, in an industry that is sort of higher um you know, the higher revenue areas. And then I've actually, I built a strong foundation of core service. So yes, you know, there's lots of payroll providers out there, but I'm not just providing payroll. I am an employer of record. So the, the service itself is a premium service. That means, you know, my, my uh, I, I'm charging a premium for that. I don't want to compete with a commodity service. My, my service is, is unique because as an employee of record, there's a lot more risk that I take on rather than just, you know, being a payroll uh, processor. Having that, I, I've been able to add on other revenue streams that, 
you know, people can, um, you, you have a, a natural ability to grow. So you, as a payroll provider, there's other things I can add on. You know, I, I, I added on benefits. Uh, there's, um, you know, what you guys will call the 401k in, in our case, we have our RRSPs and, and savings plans, retirement savings plans. So there's a lot of opportunity to add other revenue streams. Um, so that's how I've been able to scale. But the, the basic is to get my, my service business into, mo- it's, it's modeled very much like a SaaS. So I have monthly recurring revenue that I continue to build. So, it, you know, it's a, a function of making sure my business model uh, gives me that core solid uh, revenue base, the, the recurring revenues, and then being able to build on them. And then, you know, making sure that, that I service the clients well. There's a lot of other stuff in there, but, you know, you, you ask about how, how um, we were able to scale quickly. You know, those are the, the core pieces. And it's all just very logical. Yeah, that's awesome. And I like how you turned the service company into a SaaS or recurring revenue model. It's really smart because um, you're not having to get new customers every month or do the whole customer acquisition funnel every single time and put yourself in that position. Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting that, that uh, you bring that up because the recruiting company, the recruiting business, every year, like, like it's, it's so fickle, the recruiting industry. You have to recreate yourself because markets go up and down. So, you know, mining might be up, but right now, for example, oil and gas is people want to move away from oil and gas. They want to get into renewables and, and sustainable energy. And, you know, one, one big area for us is nuclear energy. So if you have to recreate yourself every year, it's very tiring. So my, my uh, challenge I put to myself uh, 10 years ago is I have this business. Here are my assets. I've got a, a payroll back office that I run. What else can I do with this that, that, uh, um, you know, I can sell differently or to a different market. So I wanted to use the assets and then, you know, transition into a different business. And that's how CPS was born. It's the same questions. Like what, what is, uh, what's the opportunity here? No, that's a really good point. Like you first solidly build your ground and then from that you expanded, right? You didn't like th- stretch yourself too thin in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. You concentrate yourself on one thing. And another thing that really struck me was you were saying something before. And now that you mentioned again, 10 years ago, you know, there are some difficulties you're facing. One of them was that, you know, you're a minority woman and it was hard for you to get loans from the bank. It was hard for you to raise money. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how you overcame that? So I, uh, I find it a little difficult to talk about, um, you know, the, the woman's journey or the minority journey because so, so, and, and I don't think I'm unique. I think in, I'm a Gen Xer and, and I think that this is a function of being a Gen Xer. We, we just, here's how it is. And, and I just deal with it. So it never left me at, at the time when I was going through this, it just was, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of, of colored women who ran their own businesses, you know, 20, 25 years ago. They, there were, but I didn't know any, or I didn't know many. And, you know, going to a bank, uh, you know, they all want your financials. And if you're starting something up, you don't have financials. Uh, so I'm self-funded. And even now, when I know I could go to it, like my, my um, bankers, <laughs> I mean, they, they love us because 
we're, we're very good clients to the banks, but we, um, we can get funding now, but we don't. I, I actually still um, believe that, that uh, strongly. I still tend to self-fund, even though I don't have to. Now, Curleaf, interestingly, that was another experiment. I did want to know what, what fundraising was all about. So I did go out and fundraise for, for that as a tech startup. And I, I did. Uh, I was the lead fundraiser and I was the lead investor for Curleaf. So it wasn't actually my company. I was the largest investor in it. And uh, when it kind of, um, you know, after the first year or two years, it, 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 they were faltering. Their business model was B2C, but they didn't know how to run uh, to consumer business. I was asked by the board to step in and I was on the board. I was asked to step in and, and turn the business around and, and uh, turn it into a, a sustainable business model. So that's how I came to run CareerLeaf because I was the lead uh, investor at the time. Oh, so the funding story. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the funding journey is um, like, uh, uh, it's, again, here's what I would tell uh, young entrepreneurs, especially women, come up with your idea, come up with your, your client first, like someone who can, who is actually going to be representative of your revenue. And that you can take to a bank right? Because if you come in with, with purchase orders, because uh, I'm not a, a big fan of uh, giving away equity and being in debt right from the start. I think that, that you, can, you can do that uh, and bring in partners and investors, etc. But when you actually have a solid foundation. Now that's me. Everybody has different comfort zones, but my experience has, has always led me to that. And I like to always be the majority owner. <laughs> call that a control freak position but uh you know if i'm not in the, the majority position then uh you know unless you have very trustworthy partners um and you know you've i've had both both type of partners like you know you, you can you can get treated very poorly um and so this is one of my own learnings i like that to be in that position and I like to be in a position to be able to help because I know how hard it is on the other side. So I've also got investments I've made in other people's businesses, you know, again, as, as to be supportive, but also because it's, it's uh, you know, it's what I needed. So it's my way to give back. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I like that, uh, how your career journey, like when you invested in career leave, you didn't probably expect to become the CEO of it or run it, right? No. But <laughs> the no. way that life takes you, yeah. yeah. And it's great that you're living, giving back and empowering other entrepreneurs. You know, like you've been empowered or empowered yourself throughout your journey, even if, you know, banks weren't willing to lend to you and all of that. And especially hanging on to equity is so important, and especially in the beginning. I think in the startup culture, like raising is prize as a like a milestone but if you don't need to raise or you don't need you can be self-funded and you don't need that extra cash input just keep in mind that that with that comes responsibility to someone else like now your business yeah you have to answer to somebody yeah yeah and if you're not making revenue then you've also let your investors down i mean people don't even think about that Mm-hmm. You know, it, it weighs me down and maybe that's more of a my generation, my gender thing, right? I care about my investors. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I want to be able to, and, and, and okay, because they're friends and family, you know, I have to see these people all the time. They're not just, you know, the stock market where, where I also think is a, is a, a crapshoot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole markets need to be rejigged, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. What you said about the investors is so true. I think one of the biggest lessons that I heard from someone um, a couple years ago, actually, is that like when you take on an investment from that second, every morning you're waking up thinking, how can I return this? Like, because you have to do justice by that person who invested and believed in you when you just had a small vision or, you know, a small idea. Yeah. And and yes, there's a lot of times where where things will fail. The majority of times, like in the tech startup scene, right, you've heard these terms, uh, uh, the unicorns. It's such a small slivered percentage of businesses that achieve that level of success. You know, most businesses, you know, they, they, they come out, they, they'll have um, a cap. And I mean, I'm not, uh, um, I, I'm proud of what, what myself and my team have achieved, right? They, but we're, we're not uh, those type of businesses. We're not in the billion dollar realm. I mean, we're in the, we're in the multiple millions and, and hopefully, you know, maybe add another zero soon, but, but being realistic about what our business is capable of, you know, that also keeps me grounded and it keeps me, um, it keeps me from getting, uh, uh, sort of sidetracked, you know, with, with, um, I've, I've kind of, it's, it's gone on a tangent here, but, but, you know, it's, it's about, um, it's about how people think about uh, in uh, raising capital right now for startups. I'm not a fan of the current methodology. I really do believe that customers should come first. Revenue should be mm-hmm. part, of the, part of every startup. Absolutely. But like building profitability into your business from the beginning, um, making because that way your unit economics are going to be right from the start and you don't have yeah. to like correct course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and call it old school if you want, but you know, that's how, that's how, that's my sort of thinking. <laughs> no, it's not old school. I mean, clearly you're a very successful entrepreneur and have been for 20 years and that's awesome. So what you have to say definitely matters. Thank you. I like to think so. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you mentioned getting sidetracked, so this might be a funny question, but what's next, do you think, in your career journey, you know, what's next for Afifa? Right. So, you know, I was saying to you that uh, I'm always sort of looking ahead, what, what's coming, and this has become a habit now. So while CPS, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it because it's fun to be successful and, and it's fun to, to, you know, have your team be, be happy and empowered and, and love their work because I, I really do think that that's part of why I enjoy it. I'm looking ahead to see you know, what are some upcoming trends? And, you know, I spoke to you about remote working. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot more to do in this space and from different angles. So right now I'm servicing one end of it. I'm also building out software to, you know, technology that that is part of the scaling I was I was talking about in, in the professional service. And, you know, ultimately, would, wouldn't it be cool if I could also power my competitors? So... You know, without yeah. going into without going into any secret details here, but <laughs> those are great experiments to run, and I do talk about them as experiments because you know I'm probably going to start out a few other uh, ideas, um, like Curly, for example. I have uh, an, another idea that we've launched. I've launched a uh, um, 
Oh, actually, no, CPS. We launched a, a, a job board, actually. It's a, it's a community for remote working. It's called Work the North. And Work the North is um, going to be affiliated with CPS. How, like right now, we, we have remote workers, but when they are ready to do their job searches, and everybody is, it's literally for uh, remote working professionals. And right now, it's really mostly IT and, and any job conducive to being able to be done at home. Because uh, those are the ones that, that, you know, we service. So that site was launched, literally, workthenorth.com. Uh, um, mm-hmm. So that is an experiment that's going on right now. And, and of course, uh, uh, the technology that backs that. I kind of like to own my own tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's always good, right? You got to own the intellectual property for sure. Yeah. And it's not, it's not rocket science. It just, uh, it just, if you deliver it well, simply with a good user experience, I'm a big believer in user experience. Cause I think when you have good user experience, you leave your customers and, 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 you know, people who you deal with, uh, feeling good about it. Cause that's the early days. I, I never spent money in marketing. It was always word of mouth. So if you have a good solid reputation, mm-hmm. that pays dividends. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell that you're super excited about Work the North. So listeners, definitely check that out, especially like now that more people are becoming aware that it's possible to do all of our things virtually. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, looking for a career in transition, looking to gain experience, you know, this is great. Yeah, yeah. And the focus will still be the CPS business because uh, uh, a Canadian remote workforce right now is probably a, a great solution for a lot of U.S. companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but uh, pretty soon, hopefully, after your election, you'll sort out some of that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to help. <laughs> we, we didn't want to build that border wall. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and I feel like it was so great having you on. And I got to say, you're so well-spoken and such an amazing entrepreneur and your journey is still inspiring. It's you ongoing, you guys. I, I'm actually excited to, to, her, to hear more about uh, other people's uh, journeys because I'm sure this is the start of some, some for you, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you can definitely check out season one of our podcast. And, you know, we really wanted to focus on telling those more authentic stories of ups and downs to your story of how you started this from, like, a difficult place of not being able to find the job yourself and, you know, you shared about wasabi and all of those things. It's really critical for people to hear that so it's not just the limelight stuff all the time, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. This has uh, been a very enjoyable conversation. I, I appreciate the conversation with you, uh, with you two. Yeah, we had a great time hosting you too. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to us and share with a fellow entrepreneur. Thanks for listening to Ida, and you can find us at thinkida.com. Until next time, ideate, decide, act.